0: guys can we talk about the fact that ted cruz watches some kinky ass porn but even he won't listen to i doubt it with Alamar? the following broadcast
1: may contain free thinking and open-minded discussion ideas skepticism and adult subject matter topics will be discussed using adult language sometimes gratuitously Get ready to move the conversation forward. This ain't your granddad's news and comment show. This is I Doubt It With Dolamore. All right, thank you for joining us, and welcome to episode 340 of I Doubt It With Dollamore. I am your host, as always, Jesse Dolamore. And sitting across from me, that lady everybody knows and loves, the best part of the show, Brittany Page.
2: The best part?
1: Well, that's what they say. Hmm. That is what they say. That's nice. Can I tell you two things I learned today? Okay. One, that limes have 50% less vitamin C than lemons.
2: Uh Uh-oh. So my drink is not as healthy as it could be. Well, it
1: just doesn't have as much vitamin C. Mm. And then the other thing, well, I learned that because... (laughs) <laughs> scurvy, they when they they hadn't quite figured out that lemons that vitamin C is what cured scurvy uh-huh. or prevented scurvy, uh-huh. but they thought it was acidic, the acidicness of of lemons, and then when they yeah don't ask I don't I don't know why but so and then so they figured well limes are more acidic than lemons we'll use those and uh, it fa- failed on them because it has fifty percent less vitamin C.
2: Well, I just, I love how you were explaining how you learned this, and you learned it because scurvy is the first thing that you said. Because of scurvy. So we're, why were you looking up scurvy? I wasn't
1: looking up scurvy. I was just reading some stuff. Okay. The other thing I learned today was because of you. Yeah. And that is that the little divider on the little the little conveyor belt at the grocery store... Mm-hmm. Um. It is in bad form to not put that thing down behind your groceries.
2: Okay, I don't think it's in bad form. I don't know what the proper etiquette is. But I know that I get very pissed off when the person does not put it down. You
1: act like if it's not there, that's a signal for you not to put your groceries down. And I have always been under the apparent misapprehension that if I put that down behind me, it's kind of like a stay away from my groceries to the person behind me. It's kind of like a dick move. Like, hey, I'm too good. This is the line of demarcation. You stay away.
2: But is it not the line of demarcation? It's where your groceries <laughs> end and you, you, you're you not going to pay for their stuff. No, so it's I not know. rude. I know, or but- are you like, oh, hey, go ahead and just saddle up. <laughs> She'll figure it out. No, if some no, of yours get in there, I'll I pay always- for them. It doesn't matter. It's cool. <laughs>
1: I always just thought that it was their, if it's their prerogative, it's their decision to put it down or not.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: But they're going to know. I'm going to put my arm down eventually. I'm going to, hey, no, well, no. <laughs> You know, th- those tampons aren't mine. You're going
2: to throw yourself on the conveyor belt to to divide no, the groceries. I just, I don't
1: know. I always, I always thought, think it's Aggressive. To put it down, that
2: is so strange. That you, is so strange.
1: You get angry. Yeah, if I someone think it's aggressive it the
2: other way. I think that they are being lazy and hateful toward me. <laughs>
1: <laughs> you always act like that. They are. They're doing it to spite you because yeah. they have to give me the signal. How do I know when I can put my groceries no, down unless no, the thing's on the t- conveyor no, belt? No, it
2: isn't. They need to give me a signal. Just put the thing down. Listen, it's part. It's part they should just put the thing down because that's like the courteous thing to do. And half, I don't want to touch the thing. I don't want to touch the divider. It's always filthy. I've never seen a clean one of those. Well, that's half
1: the time. You're going to have to touch it when, when you put it behind yours. No. No? Then who's going to put it down for you?
2: Oh, yeah. Now I'm putting <laughs> this together. Now I'm putting this together. Yeah, so you're gonna
1: have to touch one of them, no matter what. You just don't want to touch two of them, is what you're saying.
2: Yeah. Well, this is falling apart now because now I'm having to think about this. <laughs> Hold on. I haven't I haven't been there in a while. I always go to Trader Joe's and there is not a conveyor belt there. You just hand them that's your stuff. That's right. That's in there. right. Yeah. <laughs> so I don't that have to worry about it. That is a dream.
1: That is a dream grocery store. Okay. For Brittany Page.
2: I don't want to touch the thing, but I but I have to. Okay, that happens. Yeah. But getting back to the etiquette part of it, I don't know. I just feel as though I have always believed that you should put it after your stuff. Just, oh, I'm done now. This is the end of the line for me. Hmm. And you are free to go.
1: I I know now. I think that I'm, I'm on board. I'm just letting you know up to this point, it has always been kind of a I felt aggressive doing that.
2: But this is one of those... I'm a
1: weirdo, though. I also used to not want to order water. I used to not not want to order a soft drink at dinner at a restaurant or whatever because like I'm being cheap and I'm screwing them out of their tip or something. That that only stopped maybe five years ago.
2: Yeah, that's weird. That's weird.
1: Yeah, I'm, I'm a weird guy. So because I, can't, why- I can't gauge off of what I think is normal because I'm a fucking weirdo. All you
2: have to say is, listen, I heard on Oprah that... <laughs> It, I can save Th- a lot mean, of money. That
1: would mean I would have to watch <laughs> Oprah to say that.
2: Well, this was a long time ago, but she had a Never show. Never watched Oprah. She had a show where she talked about ways to save money when dining out. And one of those ways was to drink water. But this is one of those things where <laughs> people... I'm we, listening. We talked about clearing the table, right? Clearing the table at restaurants Oh, and right. Yeah. whether or not you stack your plates.
1: Yeah, straighten it up.
2: And there was not really a point of agreement there. We, we People called in and everyone was still all over the place so I'm wondering if there is a certain way that this is done and I'm wrong or you're wrong. Or Maybe if, it's
1: regional or something. Or
2: if this is one of those things where Maybe it's a
1: dude chick thing.
2: Yeah, I don't know. We're never going to be on the same page so everyone is always going to be, hey, what the hell? Put that down or <laughs> you know? <laughs> However you feel about it.
1: I'll just adopt your way of doing things because my default is maybe I'm just fucked up about it. (laughs) You know what I mean? That's just kind of, "Ah, okay, no big deal. I'll switch.
2: This very important matter needs to be solved.
1: Very, very important. Speaking of very important, Brittany, let's get to a voicemail, voice memo we got from Sizzle. She wants to go by Sizzle, Brittany.
3: When it comes to Spicer, I say, fuck that. He's a grown ass man. He knew what he was doing when he went to that White House, for better or worse, to work for that asshole and mislead the public. I agree that he needs to come out and give a full apology. I think he needs to acknowledge that he was incredibly wrong and that um, he won't ever do anything like that again to actually put our country in jeopardy. I mean, this is serious shit and we don't just reintegrate him back into society like nothing happened or like he was a victim i mean that's ridiculous to to give him any slack on the fact that he chose you know he was willing to go in there and work with that administration to represent that administration to speak for that administration um even though another thing to note is that it it wasn't done intelligently it was horrible he was not qualified he's not competent and what made matters worse is people try to think that he actually resigned um out of his own choosing i really think he just got fucking fired and so to sit here and now pretend like he wasn't a part of the very problem that gives us nightmares every every night um in terms of who's leading this country, you know, that that's that's incredibly insane and it's actually ludicrous. So we're saving the jokes for Melissa. We're saving the FUs for him. And um we're not cutting any slack. The only thing we're gonna cut is the cord on that ass. Thank you.
2: <laughs> um <laughs> so I don't want to steal a a page from Adam Carolla and Dr. Drew's playbook From late ninety, early thousand, early two thousand, love line. Yeah, but you have um, a battery that needs to be replaced in your smoke nine
1: volt battery. It's all it takes.
2: Yeah, just uh, get a ladder. Yep, climb up there (laughs) and get it done. And you know, I'm actually kind of comforted by the sound because I haven't heard it since I was a kid. Because my mom, we'd have like five of them going off and. (laughs) It was like living in a birdhouse, and <laughs> it's kind of comforting for me to hear it. I, I, no,
1: I've had them go. I've had them in the past where they go off. We're going to get to the substance of the call here in a minute. Yeah, but sizzle. the chirp
2: chirping needs to be but, addressed. Uh,
1: you you forget that they're happening.
2: Yeah, it eventually goes y- yeah, away. Yeah,
1: just because I've had them where they're wired in and they were malfunctioning. I had to have come, someone come in and do it mm. in in a house, yeah. and- it's uh you just you're deaf to them you don't hear them
2: yeah but
1: to the to the sum and substance of your call sizzle i of course i agree we actually you know we we got a lot of feedback a lot of feedback through emails and messages to the facebook page that uh agreed with lawyer drew yes on our last show mm-hmm. and i was surprised by that and then I watched Anderson Cooper this evening. And because the show would just was on the air, I could not find a good copy of it because your humble host here has to scrounge the internet for the clips that we use. So I'm going to play the ridiculous from Anderson Cooper's show, A3C- a-, a-, a C AC360, tonight.
2: <laughs> wow. Free! Yeah.
1: And uh, thankfully... The venerable Anderson Cooper agrees with your humble host and with Sizzle.
4: Time now for The Ridiculous. Have you ever wondered what kind of hole gets punched into time and space when someone lies, then pretty much admits they lied, then lies about the fact that they lied in the first place? Well, wonder no more, because much like a prairie dog on the grasslands separating the deep burrowed tunnels of fantasy from the clear light of reality, Sean Spicer popped up again today.
2: Have you ever lied to the American people? I don't think so. You don't think so?
5: No, I'm cheating on my Uh, taxes.
2: Unequivocally, you can say no?
5: I I, Look, again, you want to find something. I've not knowingly done anything to to do that now. All
4: right, you can take the man from the podium, but you can't take the podium from the man. He was asked, have you ever lied to the American people? That, my friends, is kind of a yes or no question. His answer, his third answer, by the way, after I don't think so and I don't cheat on my taxes, was, quote, I have not done anything knowingly to do that. That answer is so Washington, D.C., it should have its own reflecting pool. Just a nice, calm place where you can sit down with your word salad and think about what you've done. Did Sean Spicer lie to the American people? Yeah, he did. He lied about the Trump Tower meeting being about adoption, even after Donald Trump Jr. was forced to admit it was about Russian dirt on Clinton. Remember the president's claim about 3 to 5 million people voting illegally? Not true, but Sean Spicer said it was. He lied about the president getting the most electoral votes of any Republican since Reagan. I mean, the list goes on and on, but, you know, I'm kind of sentimental. I'm a sentimental guy, so I have a soft spot for the first time. You never really do forget the first time. I remember it was right after the inauguration when Spicer spoke about President Obama's and President Trump's inauguration crowds and suggested you shouldn't believe sources that said Mr. Obama's crowd was bigger. You know, sources like your eyeballs or your brain. This was the first time in our nation's history that floor coverings have been used to protect the grass in the mall. That had the effect of highlighting any areas where people were not standing. This was also the first time that fencing and magnetometers went as far back on the wall, preventing hundreds of thousands of people from being able to access the mall as quickly as they had in inaugurations past. No one had numbers. These attempts to lessen the enthusiasm of the inauguration are shameful and wrong. This was the largest audience to ever witness an inauguration, period, both in person and around the globe. Okay, just for the record, that's not Melissa McCarthy. That actually was Sean Spicer actually at the podium in the White House. That was his first time at the podium and it's clear he got his, his marching orders from on that one, but he sure did commit to it, didn't he? I mean, if that wasn't pushing a lie in such an obvious way that it's almost comedic, then why did this just happen at the Emmys?
5: This will be the largest audience to witness an Emmys, period.
0: Both in person and around the world.
4: See, he's making a joke of the fact that he lied. I guess the idea is if you let some time pass, lies become funny. Oh, by the way, the morning after the Emmy, Spicer told the New York Times that he, of course, absolutely regrets criticizing accurate news reports that Obama's inauguration crowd was bigger than Trump's. But was he telling the truth when he said that to the Times about his regret? Maybe that was a lie, too, because two months ago on Sean Hannity's show, he said this.
5: And I will tell you, I have no regrets. This is, I, I can't thank the president enough for this unbelievable honor.
4: So, okay, so he didn't have any regrets in July when he was talking to Sean Hannity, but in the New York Times, he did have regret. The good news is Sean Spicer doesn't have to lie for a living anymore. Now he just seems to be doing it recreationally.
1: Well, I think he makes my case for me.
2: But he's a victim.
1: He's a victim. He's a grown-ass man. The cult analogy, as, as, as well as it played, I don't buy into, that Drew made the other day. Um. I still stand by my 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 uh, my previous and earlier statements. Until we get an actual apology and admitting of what he did, I'm not. You know, it's not. You tell lies. You tell lies. You subvert the Constitution. You represent a maniac, a despot, a tyrant. And then, as soon as you quit, oh, all's forgiven because you quit. That's not the way it works. That might work for everyday people, who they're 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 doing bad behavior and then they stop and you're okay. Well, yeah, we'll let we'll let it slide. Not in this case. This is a wholly different kind of thing. Anyway, thank you for the voice memo, and for you know echoing my sentiments. That's always nice, and uh, we appreciate the feedback. Otherwise, that you guys disagree with me and agree with Drew. That's what this show is all about. Let's get to some emails.
2: I just want to say that I'm feeling very insecure about the way that I'm talking because I had a little repair done to my permanent retainer and I feel like I'm... Permanent
1: retainer? I
2: feel like I'm talking weird. So...
1: You are. You know what I hear in my ears? So here's the deal, guys. (laughs) Welcome to the show. I'm Jesse Dollarmore. I'm down in my mom's basement doing a podcast. (gasps)
2: I love science. Okay.
1: Go ahead, Brittany.
2: Uh, <laughs> thank you for that.
1: Permanent retainer. Hey. <laughs> Lay it on us.
2: Hey, Jesse and Brittany. Hey, yeah. guys. <laughs> 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 you know it's behind my teeth, right? You know, uh, it's, I don't, it's not like headgear. I never
1: had braces or a retainer, the, so I don't know <laughs> about that The way that works. you're
2: talking is not accurate.
1: All right. Okay. It's still funny. <laughs>
2: Hey, Jesse and Brittany, you know, what is it with conservative right-wing... I said that incorrectly. Let me start over. Okay, go ahead. (laughs) (laughs) You know, what is it with conservative right-wing people that they're so outraged and scared of liberals' so-called libtards?
3: Mm.
2: Are they afraid of what liberals want? To take care of people interested in facts and fairness? If they were starving and bleeding to death, they would refuse food and medical aid. Morons. They also... They also think they own patriotism and religion. No,
1: they do. They do believe that. The
2: hypocrisy is staggering. It's mind-boggling that they elected a rich, pussy, reality TV star New Yorker who isn't going to do anything for them. I live in California near you guys in South Orange County, the right-wing capital of California. And to hear these smug, so-called conservative Christian Orange County people rail against our state is even more mind-boggling. Why don't they just leave and let some brown people come here and take their jobs, and we will be very successful without them? Thanks for letting me vent, Brittany. You're the best part, because God knows what this country and your show would be like with only men running the show. Semper Fi, Jesse. Bob from Tribuco Canyon.
6: Love the show. Brittany's the best part.
1: Bye. Well, (laughs) I feel your pain. Where we live here in Orange County, California, is the the heartbeat. That's why our airport is John Wayne Airport. It is this is Reagan country. This is conservative California. Us in San Diego, mm-hmm. all of southern Southern California, pretty conservative. But Orange County went blue for Hillary Clinton this last election. And we are looking to at least, at the very least, flip the 48th Congressional District where we live. And also, hopefully, down there where you are with um, Mike Levin and Daryl Issa. That would also be a good thing. Thank you for your email.
2: This message is from Kyle. Hello. I've been wanting to contact you both for some time now. What has been on my mind lately is how scary the right is getting. For some reason, Breitbart shows up on my Facebook feed, and like a fly to shit, I read the comment (laughs) section. I know nothing good can come of it, but I read it anyhow, and it scares the ever-living shit out of me. How are people really so out of touch with reality? I mean, can there really be that many stupid people out there who believe that number 45 is their lord and savior? It's like the episode where you had the televangelist recording saying he was the king who was prophesized. Mm. Yeah. I guess I'm the dumb one because deep down, I still want to believe that people are good inside. Like the Mandela quote, that if you can be taught to hate, you can be taught to love. But I think I'm starting to lose that. Is it as simple as just turning away and not looking? But then I don't want to be ignorant. And what can I do to make it better? It really is a dilemma. J and B help. You're both the best part.
1: Um, wow, you well if, 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 if you're looking for an answer for me, you came to the wrong place.
2: I have an answer. I
1: don't know because I struggle with the same thing and I'm st- I'm also I too am seeking those answers.
2: I think you need to strike a balance here, Kyle of reading the Breitbart comment section and also reading the food network comment section, and then going to one of your favorite YouTube videos and reading the comments there, because I think you need to have a comment section balanced. That's not going to be balanced. That's
1: going to be all crazies.
2: Um, well, no, because it's not all about politics, you oh. see. Um, so then... Well, it's just
1: going to reinforce that all of us are crazy, even about things that aren't political.
2: Okay. Well, whatever. I think it's good to read the comment sections, even though it's maddening, because you get a feel for how people <laughs> are and what they're thinking. And even though most of the time it is, it is pretty depressing to see... It is useful, and it can inform the way that you approach conversations with people in your day-to-day life, your friends, your family, um, people who might feel the same way as those people. I don't know. I find it useful just to kind of understand what people are feeling, what they're thinking. Um, I think you just need to do it in moderation, and if you start getting to the point where you're feeling emotionally drained and upset and just pissed off, well then... That's no good. Yeah, that's a sign that maybe you should scale it back a little bit.
1: Take the Jesse D route.
2: And what would that be?
1: Avoid that shit.
2: Okay, so (laughs) never read it.
1: No, no, not never. Just avoid it when it's problematic for you.
2: Yeah, also, I don't know. I don't necessarily get pissed off when I'm reading it. No, I do. I...
1: I get, like, fight or flight kind of reactions, like tingly hands, fast heartbeat, i get pissed off. <laughs> today it happened today. Huh. About i guess we can talk about it later with the taking care of biz. Uh-huh. But that whole thread got me worked up, mm-hmm. fired up. It's... One of the reasons why i avoid facebook discussion con- uh, confrontation.
2: Mhm.
1: Not good for me personally.
2: Yeah. Yeah, i mean i I don't know. I, I, I definitely get angry at times, but at the same time, I think it's more important to one, have conversations with people yeah, and to know what people are, are thinking and feeling about this stuff. And it's also interesting watching the shift sometimes of your Facebook friends and, and how they felt one way and then maybe how they're starting to evolve on certain issues. Sometimes it's not good, but sometimes it's okay.
1: Yeah, I'm. Uh, I wish I was more well equipped, or as well equipped as you to do that.
2: Well, and but
1: I know my limitations. I just know.
2: No, I understand. And you always paint it too positive for me, and make me look like I'm some saint. And no, no,
1: well, that's not what I mean to do. Okay, because I'm it's just not saying true. you're better at it than I am, uh-huh. far better at it. And I don't have whatever it is, what level that you're able to attain with it. I don't have that ability, is what I'm saying.
2: Yeah, I think I know you get pissed off too. I think it's just pure um, <laughs> optimism. I'm just such a <laughs> an optimist. And yeah, that's it. Also, super grounded. I um, <laughs> believe in what I'm saying and. douche <laughs> chill. Thank you for putting it into that. I didn't know where I was going to go. All
1: right, moving on. <laughs> Support for I doubt it with Dalamore comes from generous, engaged, intelligent, and. PayPal family members, we appreciate you guys very much. We are having a Google slash Zoom hangout call. Yes. At the end of the month, Friday mm-hmm. and Saturday, we are looking forward to talking with you guys, having a conversation like we do every month. It really is a very good time. And if that is an incentive that would get you guys to join our Patreon family, It is a really good time.
2: And don't forget that we also have I Doubt It With Dollamore t-shirts, totes, all kinds of delicious things. You're the Puppet shirts.
1: No treats, but they are...
2: Classy laid shirts, classy laid totes, (laughs) mugs.
1: And where? Where do we have those?
2: Dollamore.info.
1: Dollamore.info. Yes. All right.
2: And send us pictures with with your...
1: Oh, yeah. When you, Everybody who's bottom, we'd love to see photos of you yes. wearing the gear, yes. drinking out of the mugs, carrying shit in your tote. Absolutely. Good time. Stalemocracy. Facing down pessimistic politics with realistic optimism.
2: So, thankfully, it's only good news that we have because <laughs> there haven't there haven't been a lot of problems wow, the past yes, few days. Yes. All,
1: all good. Sunshine and rainbows.
2: Things have really turned around. Yeah. Going in a different direction now.
1: Yeah. Donald Trump not uh, nearing us to nuclear war. Um, the Russia investigations kind of turning up nothing. Yeah. He's more <laughs> metered on Twitter. Everything yeah. is coming up roses.
2: Yeah.
8: Brittany Page. It
2: took this amount of time, but we're there.
8: The Russia investigation's focus on a few individuals seems to be ramping up, in particular, former Trump campaign chairman Paul Manafort. New reporting this week from The New York Times and CNN, some of which we've confirmed at NBC News, some of which hasn't been confirmable, has showed increasing scrutiny on Manafort. CNN is reporting, in fact, that a FISA court granted a wiretap of Manafort both before and after the election, including into the early part of this year when he was known to talk to President Trump. We also learned this week, first reported by The New York Times and confirmed by NBC News, that Manafort's home was raided over the summer using a no-knock warrant. The Times also reported prosecutors told Manafort they do plan to indict him. Manafort has been a fixture in Republican politics for a long time, going back to Gerald Ford uh, in 1976. But in more recent years, his work has expanded to include lobbying uh, and political consulting on behalf of foreign governments and foreign candidates, including those linked to Russian-backed forces in Ukraine. And this week, we learned of another connection, Manafort and this man, Oleg Deripaska. He's a Russian billionaire who's known to be among two or three oligarchs that Putin turns to on a regular basis. This was first reported by The Washington Post. He's also been repeatedly denied entry into the United States over alleged ties to organized crime. And despite all of that, came to light this week that emails show Manafort offered Deripaska a private briefing on the campaign just two weeks before the Republican National Convention. Joining me now is my colleague Ken Delaney, and he, of course, covers intelligence and national security issues for NBC News. And his beat is basically this investigation. That's probably the best way to describe this at this point. Your beat is Come this back. investigation. Yeah. So, Paul Manafort, the focus is intensifying. But is he a central figure or is he a side figure that is Mueller plans to use to help him with the central part of this case? Well, I think both.
9: Right now, he's a central figure because that's where the evidence is leading Mueller. And you're starting to see people close to the president disavow Manafort, which I find fascinating. Corey Lewandowski.
8: Absolutely. Now, he did it on this show much earlier, and he, didn't, he basically said if, if any of this is true, he should go to jail. And now he personalized it even more.
9: That's right. And the president's lawyer, Todd Cobb, said we never thought you know, Paul Manafort would monetize his role as campaign chairman, and that refers to these emails where he's offering this billionaire that you just showed, Oleg Deripaska, a private briefing two weeks before Donald Trump was nominated as the Republican nominee for president. Now, that's significant because this is a man very close to the Kremlin. You know, this Trump Tower meeting, which I think is significant, involved Russians who are kind of nobodies. Oleg Deripaska is not a nobody. He's a very significant figure, one of two or three people, according to the State Department cable, that Vladimir Putin relies on in, in the oligarch circle and talks to a lot. And, and he had this relationship with Manafort going back to 2007, a financial relationship, and it, and, and it continued on during the campaign when Paul Manafort was running Donald Trump's campaign.
8: Is You just said, you have quoted Ty Cobb now as sort of essentially throwing Manafort under the bus. That seems to be a, that's a tricky decision to make if you're on the president's legal team and you do that, because there has been an assumption, and I want to be careful here on the assuming, but there's been an assumption that part of the play here by Mueller is to squeeze Manafort, that they have found a lot of irregularities involving where he reported money, maybe simply tax evasion, all sorts of issues of how he handled his his uh, uh, operations when it came to Ukraine um, that may have, have anything to do with the central collusion question, but he committed crimes. It, it, and, he, and they squeeze him. You would think that the president's legal team wouldn't be throwing him under the bus unless they're really w- worried about him.
9: Unless they've, and we should say, obviously he denies committing crimes, but unless they've already concluded. That Mueller has so much leverage against Manafort. Manafort is on the road it's to indictment. Inevitable. Him. The ship has sailed. I mean, he's he's going to be he's going to cooperate and say what he knows. And the question is, what does he know? Was this just Paul Manafort running his own show inside the campaign with these ties to senior Russians, or was he coordinating it with Donald Trump and others? And what was Mike Flynn doing?
1: All very good questions. If you're asking me, no one really is asking Jesse D.
2: Yeah, those questions were meant for you. <laughs>
1: But if you're asking me, uh, he wasn't running rogue. He wasn't doing an operation on his own inside the Trump campaign. (laughs) Because, one, the Trump campaign was very small. Yeah. Remember, they had an unorthodox um, infrastructure within the campaign. They had very few people. They bragged about how little they were spending on campaign expenditures relative to personnel because, well, it's a real tight ship, super small. Everybody knows everything. Everybody knows everybody. So I just don't see Paul Manafort going off on his own, briefing random, close-to-the-Kremlin oligarchs, billionaires, on the status of the campaign. That why Why would they need to know, for one? Why would they want to know for another unless they're checking on an investment? That is rank speculation on my part. Let it be known. But really, unless they have a stake in this thing, unless they have a a direct interest, why do they need to be briefed on the reg? Pretty fishy. The other thing is the FISA surveillance warrant that was issued twice on Manafort.
2: We talked about that with Drew.
1: That's right and what and also let me say this. Uh-oh. He's not here to defend himself and I'm not really attacking his position but I got to thinking about his issues with the FISA warrant how easy they are to get. In the moment I didn't think of this but in upon further reflection a FISA warrant like that on a man like Manafort who is working directly under a presidential candidate they're not going to be issuing those as easy as they do on some no-name islamist suspect which is where most of these fisa warrants ostensibly are going are geared toward is terrorism and national security so because it's paul manafort and because he's the the campaign chairman for the republican nominee during an election cycle a judge is going to be a lot more wary about issuing that particular type of of intrusive surveillance order.
2: Well, both who it was and also the the type of warrant that it was, which yeah. was the the no knock.
1: Yeah, when they actually served the search warrant
2: at a inopportune time of the day.
1: Right. Yeah. <laughs>
2: um. Th- those elements combined with who he was and his position seem make it seem like a different scenario.
1: A lot more serious. Yeah. Well, this conversation between Chuck Todd and this security expert continued, and they took it into a different area that we're going to talk about.
8: I want to ask you this on the Mueller investigation. There seems to be a lot of, you know, we, we know a lot about what's happening with Manafort. Not quite sure if it's central or not central. We know a lot about, apparently, what Mueller's efforts to investigate whether the president was obstructing justice and how he handled Comey and Flynn. But neither one are about the central issue, which, which is uh, the Russian interference, did Americans help? Where are we on that aspect of it?
9: Well, it's interesting. Today, Facebook disclosed that they are turning over to Congress these 1,000 Russian ads that they disclosed a few weeks ago. Were, were, were Place during the campaign that is an unexplored area of this whole Russian interference campaign the fake news the use of social media we haven't heard much from Twitter mm-hmm. uh, Adam Schiff the ranking Democrat on the House Intelligence Committee said say look we want to hear from these social media companies we want them to come to the Hill and testify about what happened here because the Russians clearly use social media to influence the American voter but we don't know to what extent how much was spent and we don't know whether any Americans cooperated with that effort do we have
8: a sense of what legal what legally Twitter and Facebook are required to turn over, and what legally they aren't.
9: That's a hazy area. That, you know, Facebook said today they did this very reluctantly. They don't like to turn over content, but of course they are like anyone else. They have to reply, respond to a subpoena. Are they subpoena. responding to
8: a subpoena? That's not clear. It's okay, so nice. I think there's a threat. I'm not so this is a case of do you, don't make a subpoena you. And here's it, what it we want. What don't make a subpoena you? It may well be. And has Twitter turned stuff over yet? Or,
9: or You know, we haven't heard much about Twitter. And Twitter, of all the companies, has been the most reluctant to cooperate with this stuff and to talk about any of it. Now, in fairness, there isn't the kind of ad buying with Twitter that you would see on Facebook.
8: No, but it's the accounts and being able to study the bots and... The patterns of that, right? And tracing yes. back where these folks exist. But
9: our own Clint Watts, who's an expert on this, the former FBI agent, will tell you that it's really hard to get behind that on Twitter because you can come and go with an account with total anonymity and it's going to be really difficult to trace that stuff.
1: So let's talk about this particular angle. Jared Kushner specifically, because Jared Kushner is no genius. His daddy got him into Harvard. He's not the smartest cookie. Donald Trump may think so, but Donald Trump's a fucking moron, so you don't have to be too smart to impress Donald Trump with your brains. But Jared Kushner had access to unbelievable data relative to each individual state, Wisconsin, Michigan, Pennsylvania, Virginia, Florida, these swing states that went Donald Trump's way. And Jared Kushner was almost magical about what he knew. The targeting, the laser focus, understanding of what needed to be done for a guy in his 30s who's never been in politics, who's never been in a presidential election, who's never been in a campaign like this. They are turning their focus on him now. They are finding out what he knew, how he knew what he knew, from where he found out what he knew, Facebook answered today. Mark Zuckerberg came out and he gave nine points of the way they're going to change their system to avoid this type of thing. We're going to cover the first six of those nine points. The first couple minutes he spent talking about how much they appreciate democracy and blah, blah, blah. That might be true. But we're going to cover points one through six quickly with Zuckerberg. Now, I wish I could
7: tell you that we're going to be able to stop all interference, but that just wouldn't be realistic. There will always be bad actors in the world and we can't prevent all governments from all interference, but we can make it harder. We can make it much harder. And that's what we're going to focus on doing. So today I want to share the steps that we're taking to protect election integrity and make sure that Facebook is a force for good in democracy. And while the amount of problematic content that we have found so far remains relatively small, any attempted interference is a serious issue. So here are nine things that we're going to be working on over the next few months. First, we are actively working with the U S government on its ongoing investigations into Russian interference. We've been investigating this for many months now. And for a while we had found no evidence of fake accounts linked to Russian, uh, to Russia running ads. And when we recently uncovered this activity, we provided that information to the special counsel. We also briefed Congress and this morning I directed our team to provide the ads we've found to Congress as well. Now, as a general rule, we're going to be limited in what we can discuss publicly about ongoing law enforcement investigations. So we may not always be able to share all of our findings publicly, but we support Congress in deciding how to best use this information to inform the public and we expect the government to publish its findings when their investigation is complete. Second we will continue our own investigation into what happened on Facebook in this election. We may find more. And if we do, we will continue to work with the government on it. We're looking to foreign actors, including additional Russian groups and other former Soviet States, as well as organizations like the campaigns to further our own understanding of how they used all of our tools. These investigations will take some time, but we will continue our thorough review. Third, Going forward and maybe the most important step we're taking is we're going to make political advertising more transparent. So when someone buys political ads on TV or other media, they're required by law to disclose who paid for them, but you still don't know if you're seeing the same messages as everyone else. So we're going to bring Facebook to an even higher standard of transparency. Not only will you have to disclose which page paid for an ad, but we will also make it so you can visit an advertiser's page, and see the ads that they're currently running to any audience on Facebook. We will roll this out over the coming months and we will work with others to create a new standard for transparency in online political ads. Fourth, we will strengthen our own ad review process for political ads. Now, to be clear, it has always been against our policies to use any of our tools in a way that breaks the law. And we have many controls already in place to prevent this, but we can do more. Most ads are bought programmatically through our apps and website without an advertiser ever speaking to someone at Facebook. And that's what happened here. But even without our employees directly involved in the sales, we can do better. Now, I'm not going to sit here and tell you that we're going to catch all bad content in our system. We don't check what people say before they say it. And frankly, I don't think society should want us to. Freedom means you don't have to ask for permission first. And that by default, you can say what you want. And if you break our community standards or you break the law, then you're going to face consequences afterwards. We won't catch everyone immediately, but we can make it harder to try to interfere. Fifth, we're increasing our investment in security and specifically in election integrity in the next year, we will more than double the team working on election integrity In total we will add more than 250 people across all of our teams focused on the security and safety of our community. Sixth, we will expand our partnerships with election commissions around the world. We already work with electoral commissions in many countries to help people register to vote and to learn about the issues. And we're going to keep doing that. And now we're also going to establish a channel to inform election commissions of the online risks that we've identified in their specific elections.
1: And then the other seven through nine were more international and I think less related to what we're talking about now. And I'm not going to malign Mark Zuckerberg. I think Mark Zuckerberg is a stand-up, ultimately and generally a stand-up guy. I think that what he has done for humanity, and what he is go- what he has pledged to do for humanity going forward with his immense wealth, is a wonderful thing. He's in the 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 Bill Gates Warren Buffett camp of giving fucking everything away. By the time he dies,
2: yeah, that's great. It's, it's
1: a, I mean, he's going to do more for America and the world, then, I mean, goddamn, unbelievable.
2: Yes, but he can still have flaws.
1: For sure, and he does. And a lot of this was a PR move, because there's no need to tell us, Facebook, what they're doing. They're doing it because they want us to feel warm and fuzzy about Facebook.
2: Well, they've also been having some problems over the past couple of days, both with the the ad targeting of phrases like "Jew haters" yeah. that you could purchase ads to target people that that appreciate that sentiment,
1: absolutely. And
2: then he he's still under fire for these comments because he isn't releasing the ads to the public.
1: Well, and- I'm I'm okay with that because he ha- is releasing them to Robert Mueller, and that is what matters. Doesn't matter. Listen, if you have a problem with Mark Zuckerberg not letting you know about what the ads are, calm her down, back her down a little bit, and have faith in Bob Mueller, who is no fucking joke. This guy is taking care of biz. He's going to be getting the goddamn job done. If there's something to find, he's finding it. We don't need to know. The people who can actually do something about it need to know. And they are finding out. And the other thing is, like I always say, Even if they do the right thing for the wrong reason, it still results in the right thing being done. And that's what's happening here. So this beautiful ass nerd is getting it done here. It is, uh, you, we're going to cooperate with the U.S. government? He's like a really low-voiced Kermit the Frog.
2: Is that what you were doing?
1: Yeah, I guess oh, so.
2: It was kind of Sargento Cheese.
1: Ah, little well, Sargento. Yeah. Hi, I'm Chuck from Sargento Cheese.
2: Is that the name of the guy on the commercial? I don't
1: know. Mm. Sargento. So anyway, g- good for them. We'll see what happens with this. We'll be in the dark a lot about it because coming out of the Mueller camp, we're not getting a lot of leaks, which means they really are doing their job well. So let's move on. There's one more angle to this Mueller investigation, <laughs> that still involves other facets of the investigation, not just Manafort, but deep inside the White
5: House itself. And in Washington, the Russian investigation is intensifying. Special counsel Robert Mueller has asked the White House for documents about the firings of James Comey and Michael Flynn and the Oval Office meeting between the president and top Russian diplomats. Let's get more on that from our chief White House correspondent, John Carl. Mueller really tightening the noose, focusing directly on the White House.
0: Well, this is the clearest indication yet that his investigation is going inside the White House and looking at the actions of President Trump himself. You remember, the president said over and over again, I am not under investigation. Now it sure looks like he is. The firing of Mueller. I mean, the firing of Comey, the firing of Flynn, also the blatantly false statement that Press Secretary Sean Spicer put out uh, the day that Comey was fired, explaining why he was fired. All of that is what he is looking into. So the
5: president clearly under investigation right now. Meantime, we know that his former campaign chairman, Paul Manafort, has really been in the crosshairs of Robert Mueller. And now we also know that thousands, potentially, of emails have been turned over. To
0: yeah, blockbuster story in the Washington Post on this that shows, among many other things, that Manafort was offering to set up a briefing on the campaign with one of Russia's richest oligarchs, somebody very close to Vladimir Putin. Interesting response uh, coming from this to uh, Bloomberg from Ty Cobb, the president's lawyer, saying it is truly shocking if Manafort was trying to profit on his, on his ties to Trump and that he would never have tolerated. There's no evidence the briefing actually happened.
5: No no evidence that briefing actually happened. But, w- but with Manafort, you've seen efforts by the president distance himself yeah. from the former campaign chairman going back several months now. But they also appear to have been in contact later in the year and into the presidency. Yes.
0: And, and, and this is going to be the key thing. And the big question, George, is whether or not Mueller is essentially trying to flip Manafort, trying to get him uh, to give evidence against the president.
1: We will see. John Carl, thanks very much. That's an important angle. Flipping Manafort, putting so much fucking pressure on him with the criminal acts that they know about that he turns, that he testifies, gets some sort of immunity deal to testify against Donald Trump. Mm-hmm. When you're facing big time for major federal crimes against your nation, eh, it's conceivable.
2: Yeah. So this isn't the only thing, though. They, there's more. Mueller has. But wait,
1: there's more. <laughs>
2: <laughs> Mueller has also requested phone records concerning the statement written aboard Air Force One defending a meeting between Trump campaign officials and Russians at Trump Tower last year. Yes, that was set up by Donald Trump Jr.
1: So you not not uh, the lie that was concocted. Right. You mean.
2: Mueller has also asked the White House for documents and emails connected to a May 3rd press briefing where Sean Spicer said the president had confidence in James Comey as the FBI director. The request seeks to determine what White House officials, particularly Sean Spicer, knew about the president's plans to fire James Comey in the day before it happened. Wow. So this is slowly starting to get closer and closer.
1: It is happening quicker than I thought. We're farther ahead of the game than I thought we'd be at this point. So, well, I'm feeling good about well, it.
2: Well, because now it's starting to get to what happened in the White House. Yeah, since Trump took office. That's right. It, good, good times. And I was always skeptical of this. You have.
1: That's what you said today.
2: Yeah. That I. You know, I. I didn't want to. I didn't want to put the the you cart ahead shit of the on horse. my
1: parade. <laughs> That's my parade music.
2: Is it? Yeah, I guess so. It's impressive. <laughs> I just didn't want to get excited for no reason. Oh, yeah. And now that we're getting closer and closer to Donald Trump, it seems like there's, there's something developing here.
1: <laughs> I would say. I would say. And not... Th- what is developing, Brittany, is not just potential nuclear war with North Korea... It's not just that. There's other things, too. You like that segue? Yes. It's good, huh? So, as you know, we've talked about for for many months now, the growing tension between North Korea and Kim Jong-un and Donald Trump and the United States. Donald Trump tweeted out, called him the rocket man in a flippant, juvenile, moronic way for a president to act. It's not like me on Twitter, the idiot, calling him Rocket Man. Mm-hmm. It's the president of the United States.
2: It's very diplomatic.
1: There's a difference between those two things. The matter with what, with which I use Twitter to make fun of Tommy Laren or to make fun of Donald Trump even, and the leader of the free world using Twitter like a dumbass like me. It's unconscionable. There's no excuse for it.
2: Well, this is what happens when we have a reality TV star. That is right. As president.
1: Well, that language did not just stay with Twitter. He took it to the floor of the UN General Assembly and gave a speech calling him the Rocket Man, saying we would ultimately totally destroy North Korea. Uh, And, you know, you would you would think that would also include the 25 million human beings that live there. As well as attacked uh, Iran. Here you have it.
10: Now, North Korea's reckless pursuit of nuclear weapons and ballistic missiles threatens the entire world with unthinkable loss of human life. It is an outrage that some nations would not only trade with such a regime but would arm, supply, and financially support a country that imperils the world with nuclear conflict. No nation on Earth has an interest in seeing this band of criminals arm itself with nuclear weapons and missiles. The United States has great strength and patience, but if it is forced to defend itself or its allies, we will have no choice but to totally destroy North Korea. Rocket Man is on a suicide mission for himself and for his regime. The United States is ready, willing, and able. But hopefully, this will not be necessary. That's what the United Nations is all about. That's what the United Nations is for. Let's see how they do. It is far past time for the nations of the world to confront another reckless regime, one that speaks openly of mass murder, vowing death to America, destruction to Israel, and ruin for many leaders and nations in this room. The Iranian government masks a corrupt dictatorship behind the false guise of a democracy. It has turned a wealthy country with a rich history and culture into an economically depleted rogue state whose chief exports are violence, bloodshed, and chaos. To put it simply, we meet at a time of both immense promise and great peril. It is entirely up to us whether we lift the world to new heights or let it fall into a valley of disrepair
1: what have we done who have we put in charge this is just another moment where i'm like god damn it we have put a moron in charge of the country and i don't mean moron like oh george w bush not very smart I mean someone who's not capable of finding his way out of a fucking wet paper bag with two hands and a fucking
10: flashlight. Something's wrong with Donald Trump. Listen to this. That's what the United Nations is all about. That's what the United Nations is for. Are Are you
1: kidding me? And then he says, let's see how they do. You're speaking to the United Nations, of which we remember, Donald Trump. You don't say, let's see how they do. You would say, let's see how we do. Or let's see how you do. Not, see, let's see how they do. What they are you talking about? You're talking to them. You fucking
2: infant. This is one of those fascinating moments where conservatives loved his speech and thought it was great. Morons. Nikki Haley called it refreshing. <laughs> of
9: course she did.
2: And liberals, obviously, not not a fan of the speech. So it just it, it's fascinating to me because we're all listening to the same speech and we're listening to him say nothing useful.
1: I think it's objectively bad.
2: And people come away from this calling it refreshing.
1: Uh.
2: and it's fucking spin. And I don't understand Nikki Haley because sometimes she says reasonable things. So is that just on accident, those moments where she's saying something reasonable?
1: I don't know. I think, I think she may be trying to say what's politically expedient for her at the moment. And that's what she felt about this. But this didn't play well. And it didn't play well with someone who it matters whether it plays well with. It didn't have the desired effect of intimidation. It didn't have the desired effect to have him cow and be afraid and tremble in his little size sixes. Kim Jong-un.
2: You mean Donald Trump isn't intimidating?
1: Yeah. Rocket Man wasn't intimidated.
6: Hi, Jim. That's right. We heard the president's tough talk. Now we're hearing uh, a reciprocal tough talk from North Korea's leader. This is via North Korea's news agency, KCNA. I'll read to you uh, just some of the, the things he said. He said, I will make the man holding the prerogative of the Supreme Command in the U.S., pay dearly for his speech calling for totally destroying the DPRK. Uh, That's a reference, of course, to North Korea. He also went on to say uh, of President Trump, he is unfit to hold the prerogative of supreme command of a country. And he is surely a rogue and a gangster fond of playing with fire rather than a politician. Again, these are our, this is a reaction we're getting from Kim Jong-un uh, to what we heard from President Trump earlier this week. Uh, he ends uh, these remarks saying, a frightened dog barks louder. Uh, So some tough talk from North Korea's leader in response to what we heard from President Trump threatening to totally destroy uh, North Korea and saying that that, that calling him Rocket Man, calling Kim Jong Un Rocket Man earlier this week, saying he's on a suicide mission. And this is interesting, Jim, because it comes on a day when the president has uh, been really using diplomacy, even as he was rolling out these new sanctions on North Korea, the president signaled that he remains open to diplomacy, despite saying just last month that talking is not the answer. Answer uh, When it comes to North Korea today, when asked if dialogue with the regime is still possible, it's still an option. He said, why not? (laughs) So I
2: am anxiously awaiting the (laughs) tweets that Donald Trump will send in response to Kim Jong Un. I imagine it will be something like, I know you are, but what am I? (laughs) <laughs> and I, I just think that I'm no
1: dog. I'm not barking. We're starting. You're, you're barking. You're a dog.
2: We're starting this pattern with two immature turds. Yeah, and it's, it's not useful because Donald Trump is so prideful, and
1: just like the fat boy is.
2: Yes. So we have two very prideful people that need to protect their egos. And Donald Trump is going to. <laughs>
1: they also have both terrible haircuts.
2: Someone is going to tell <laughs> Donald Trump what Kim Jong un said, and he is going to throw a temper tantrum. Yes. He is going to be very angry. We're going to find Kim out. Jong-un We're
1: likely going to find out tomorrow.
2: Said this about him, and that everyone is hearing about it because it's about him. Yeah. It isn't about the people that live in South Korea that will die. Or even if, the innocent people
1: who are brainwashed in North Korea—twenty-five yes. million of them.
2: Yes, it isn't about the collateral damage. Yeah, there's ten
1: million people just in Seoul, South Korea.
2: It's it's don't insult me. Right. This is me and that's you. Exactly right. And it isn't. It isn't Donald Trump and Kim Jong Un. That's that's not it. It's terrifying. Uh,
1: all right. Let's let's move on. <laughs> The healthcare thing is in full, full effect again. Yes. The Graham Cassidy bill, the Cassidy Graham bill, mm-hmm. and we haven't really talked about it. I think it's going to fail, although I'm not super super confident. I just I have faith in those those fringe members of the GOP, like Susan Collins, like John McCain, to rail this in, to 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 reel this back in. Yeah. Well, Jimmy Kimmel. Obviously, we've talked about Jimmy Kimmel in the past. He had a son, a, a son with a, a congenital heart defect. He's had one open heart surgery. Needs at least one more. Two more, I think. At least one. Oh, but possibly another one. That might be. It might be for sure two. But he needs. He's going to need roughly two surgeries. All right.
2: It's two. <laughs>
1: <laughs> and that is a serious matter. And Jimmy Kimmel has really been educated about uh, the healthcare system because of this.
2: Yeah, and I want to say that the point that he's making that 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 GOP senators are missing is he's not worried about his son Billy. I mean, he is worried about his son Billy, but this situation has caused him to be worried about children in America that are not born into multi-million dollar families. Like Billy was born into. That's right. So Jimmy Kimmel is using his son as an example of what can go wrong for other parents that don't have the resources that Jimmy Kimmel has. That's
1: right. What what does happen on an almost daily basis in America.
2: And people keep saying that Jimmy Kimmel should stick to comedy, which is very interesting because all those people that are saying he should stick to comedy, what do they do for a living? Yeah. But do they still have political opinions? Or, or do they have
1: opinions specifically about healthcare, even though they're not doctors or intimately familiar with the healthcare system in the United but, States?
2: Do they have a political opinion about anything right. that isn't related to their job? That's it's a right. stupid thing to say.
1: Ridiculous. Completely ridiculous. So Jimmy Kimmel has gone back and forth. He had Senator Cassidy on from Louisiana, who's a doctor. Senator Cassidy is the one that said he, he wasn't going to vote for a bill that didn't pass the Jimmy Kimmel test. Well, Jimmy Kimmel came on, we played it last time, and called him a liar. Said that he lied to his face. Well, a lot of people ran with this, with Jimmy Kimmel's monologue the other day. And the reason I want to talk about this is because Jimmy Kimmel really does do, it's a page right out of my playbook. It's the way I really would, I, I, I think is a good way to do things. That's calling people to the carpet in public, talking about them specifically and not beating around the bush about it. And in this case, we're talking about Brian Kilme from Fox News. Fox and Friends specifically made a snarky-ass comment about Jimmy Kimmel. And Jimmy Kimmel called him to the carpet.
11: Got a lot of nice tweets, words of support today from people, from a lot of sick and disabled people who are worried about their access to health care being cut off. But I also got some words that were not so nice, um particularly from our friends at Fox
12: and Friends. Some of these politically charged Emmys may have been the lowest rate in history, but that's not stopping Hollywood elites like comedian uh, Jimmy Kimmel for pushing their politics on the rest of the country.
11: Watch. Thanks, Brian. That was Brian Kilmeade. And the reason I found this comment to be particularly annoying is because this is a guy, Brian Kilmeade, who whenever I see him, kisses my ass like a little boy meeting Batman. Oh, he's such a fan. I think he He follows me on Twitter. He asked me to write a blurb for his book, which I did. He calls my agent looking for projects. He's dying to be a member of the Hollywood elite. The only reason he's not a member of the Hollywood elite is because nobody will hire him to be one. And, you know, (laughs) the reason I'm talking about this is because my son had an open heart surgery and has to have two more. And because of that, I learned that there are kids with no insurance in the same situation. I don't get anything out of this Brian, you phony little creep. Oh, I'll <laughs> pound you when I see you. That was my blurb. That will be my blurb for your next book. Brian Kilmeade is a phony little creep.
2: That's right. I love this because I always suspect that this is the case, right? When, Because a lot of these people know each other. A lot
1: of big talk.
2: Yeah, or at least they run in the same circles and know of each other.
1: Tangentially know one another. Yeah,
2: and so when Brian Kilmeade is shitting on Jimmy Kimmel on Fox News... You're wondering how genuine that really is, or if that's just for the the audience that's viewing his program. Yeah,
1: for his voter base, yeah. his supporter base.
2: Yeah, and he doesn't want to alienate them, and he wants to make them believe. The yeah, Hollywood elite. Yeah, I'm on your side with those liberals, you know. uh and, and so I think Jimmy Kimmel highlighting this issue is hilarious, number one, but it's also important to expose him for being essentially a fraud.
1: More important, I think, to expose. Mainly because it makes me feel good. That vengeance muscle in me kind of gets a workout vicariously through Jimmy Kimmel. Well, Brian Kilmeade the next day responded to Jimmy Kimmel on his radio program. Who knew that Brian Kilmeade was working double duty as Fox News morning host, goofball,
12: and uh, a, a radio program. Here we go. So what we did is call. I've Graham and Cassidy on over the last two days to find out what this was actually about. And Jimmy Kimmel did not like that introduction to the Graham segment and decides to take a personal attack on me. Now, I went over this. I'm going to post my response on television. Uh, essentially, he went on to say, um, went want to see what?
2: No, we have the Kimmel cut if you want to hear it.
12: Uh, the whole thing? We do. Okay,
1: let's hear it. Well, we just played the Kimmel cut, but I want to remind you what the lead in for the segment with Senator Cassidy was from Brian Kilmeade. Here it is. Then I'm gonna play part two after what they played, which is what you just listened to with Jimmy Kimmel.
12: Sunday's politically charged Emmys may have been the lowest rated in history, but that's not stopping Hollywood elites like comedian uh Jimmy Kimmel for pushing their politics on the rest of the country. Watch.
1: Ugh. That's not stopping the Hollywood elites like Jimmy Kimmel from pushing their agenda, their political agenda, on the rest of the country. What a fucking dick. He continues with his dickishness.
12: Okay, uh, that was a, a couple of things need to be clarified. Obviously, very emotional about it. Uh, Jimmy Kimmel... Definitely like him. Don't really know him personally, but I liked his show before it was popular. So when we were at American Idol doing those, uh, when when it was the number one show in the country, across the street at the Kodak Theater, I think, uh, we would go and do American Idol and do recaps with the winners and runners up. And the next day across the street in Los Angeles, if you've ever been there, is Jimmy Kimmel's Theater. So we would call up and we would try to get. Uh, we would try to uh, do an interview behind the scenes, and I think for three years he did it. I also did Merv Griffin behind the scenes, did Fox Sports behind the scenes, because I try to make the most of my trips. So I thought he did a good job, even though we were struggling at first in the ratings. said to myself, they, they stick with the show. It's as good as any of the other shows. And, of course, he was having a war with Leno at the time, and he's very funny. And behind the scenes, he was kind of cool. And plus, I we both have a sports background in Fox Sports. So is he trying to take credit for Jimmy
1: Kimmel being, the, being as popular as he is now?
2: A little bit.
12: It seems like that, right? Yeah. Ugh. So he was on the show a lot promoting Fox Sports because he was playing kind of the funny guy role uh, that they now have on that show on a regular basis on the pregame show. Now, in terms of, so I interviewed him three times, but not for the last eight years. He also went on, I didn't hear it here, but evidently he referred to his agent. I called his agent or something like that. So yeah, I knew his agent when I got out of college. So I thought to get to Jimmy Kimmel, since I wasn't getting a response from ABC, I called his agent. And his agent said, sure, and set it up. And then after the last five, six years, we tried have not been able to get on. I imagine it's the nature of partisan politics. But for him to go out and attack me personally and try to get into my personality and wants to be a Hollywood uh, celebrity. I've never. I was out there for a while. I was doing sports, came back here to and after doing sports for 20 years was been at Fox. Why would I ever leave the number one network in all of cable, not only news, and the number one morning show in the country through all these consequential events to go out to in Los Angeles and do entertainment? I mean, what, what point is that? No. Why would I want to leave a cable network when I could go to Hollywood and make all
1: the really big bucks, everybody? That's crazy talk.
2: So he's taking Jimmy Kimmel literally when he says that Brian Kilmeade wants to be in the Hollywood elite, like he wants to be Matt Damon or something. Right. No, Jimmy Kimmel doesn't think that you can be Matt Damon. What what he's saying is that you want to be rubbing elbows with the Hollywood elite. You want to be in the club. You want to be buddies with those people. You want to be invited to the parties. You want to be hanging out. Okay? That's what he means. He doesn't think that you will become a movie star. No one will hire
12: him. It's not even based in fact. So he didn't like that introduction to a segment, but I'm sure if he listened to the segment, he would have liked it. And if he did what I did is spend this time reading everything I can and then interviewing the people that made up the plan, that came up with the plan. This is where he starts going off the rails because he's describing
1: everything Jimmy Kimmel has done. Jimmy Kimmel has done his due diligence. Jimmy Kimmel has read the information. He he knows the legislation. The bill is out there. You can read it. It's not a mystery. You don't have to in, invite Cassidy or, 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 or Lindsey Graham on your show to understand it because you can read it your goddamn self. You can talk to healthcare experts and there are many who disagree with that point of view, Brian goddamn Kilmeade. So listen to the rest of what he says here because he's describing... Exactly what Jimmy Kimmel's already done. He has had Bill Cassidy on the show.
12: He most certainly has. And then I actually called Senator Lindsey Graham before he came on, just to get clarification before I went on television and radio to say, what exactly are you doing? How is this different? Is the president aboard? What's the last thing the White House said? Have you tried to get Democrats involved? What about the states that aren't getting in much money? Where's the pushback amongst Republicans? And where is this thing the weakest? See, I went and did research, and I know you can be a comedian and say whatever you want because you're a comedian, but you're obviously extremely bright and that you're actually passionate about this issue. Why don't you call Cassidy and yell at him? And then maybe Cassidy will make it seem it would turn out be worse than you thought. And He'll go say, I talked to him today worse than I thought. I'm not telling you to be a journalist, but why don't you be thoroughly informed about a program before you say how bad it is and call a guy that spends his free time operating on people for free as a surgeon who is liked by everybody. The only guy I think is more popular than him or respected by him is maybe Senator Tim Scott. Liked by everybody in Capitol Hill. You basically call him a liar without ever talking to him. So why wouldn't we interview him, of course? Why wouldn't we get more information in matters? And of course, health care is mind-numbingly boring. Jimmy Kimmel interviewed Cassidy
1: four months ago. Cassidy said, I won't vote for any bill. That doesn't pass the Jimmy Kimmel test, which is no lifetime caps on coverage and a mandatory coverage of pre-existing conditions. Neither one of those things are guaranteed in this new goddamn bill.
2: I also love how he says that comedians can say whatever they want. Well, (laughs) Brian Kilmeade has said plenty of stupid things over the years, things that he's had to apologize for saying, including racist things. Like how in America we quote, keep on marrying other species and ethnicities. Swedes have peer genes. In America, we marry everybody.
1: Uh, a, he quote, also, a
2: quote from the person that you're hearing talk right yeah, now. Yeah, yeah. And he had to apologize for Super it. Super smart guy. And this was in 2009. This wasn't when he was 10.
1: He also asked black uh, anchor Lauren Green or um, who's the, there's only two black anchors at Fox, but there's the, I think it's the other lady.
2: Harris Faulkner. Harris
1: Faulkner. And asked her, oh, do you drink great Kool-Aid? Do you make Kool-Aid at picnics? Just fucking Brian Kilmeade, man.
2: Oh, is he a comedian? Is he a comedian? goddamn moron. Because comedians are the ones who get to say whatever they want on TV. Uh,
12: Well, let's let this comedian wrap up with his last 58 seconds. And complicated. And I try to keep it above board. However for him to go that crazy and attack me personally. So when I get up in the morning, all of a sudden, instead of just saying, Brian, kill me, that's his question, he's terrible at his job, you have to attack me personally. And I guess this little, you said uh, this little man or something like that, (laughs) I'm 5'10", 174. I'm sorry that's not good enough for you. But I just think (laughs) if you look at the average chart of a male in America, I think I'm pretty much on target. (laughs) So not sure why that was necessary. Not sure why you just roll a clip and put it through. Not sure why the fact that I think you do a really good job at what you did and thought you were good before you were even as successful as you were is a bad thing. And I don't kiss your butt. I think you're good at your job. So if I say nice things, I'm not kissing up to you. So you're in the political fray now, and we'll see what happens from here.
1: Uh, this is why. This is why Jimmy Kimmel had a problem with you, goofy 5'10", 174,
12: Brian Kilme. You know. Some of these politically charged Emmys may have been the lowest rate in history, but that's not stopping Hollywood elites like comedian uh, Jimmy Kimmel for pushing their politics on the rest of the country. Watch. That's
1: why. That's why he has a problem with you, 5'10", 174 pounds, Brian me.
2: It's just never a good look when men do that. It's just never...
1: Who knows their weight to the pound? I'm surprised he didn't break it up by decimal points. I'm five 5'10", 174.2 pounds. I'm a giant. Or I'm super average. What's the point? What is the point of that?
2: Well, the point is <laughs> me and Brian Kilmeade are the same height. <laughs> and... If I had to guess, I would say he's probably five nine.
1: <laughs> well, that's typically how it works. I mean, I know guys that say they're six foot tall when they are for sure five nine and a half, five foot ten, maybe.
2: Well, and this is this is why I'm saying it's ridiculous because he did Jimmy Kimmel call him a small man?
1: I think he meant like a little man. You're you're being petty. You're being okay. small.
2: Yeah, and he felt the need to give his height and weight. Yeah. And this is just such a strange impulse to me that he felt the need to defend, I'm not a small man.
1: Right. Dude. Rather than be secure. Yeah. It's like he has to defend that.
2: Come on. He doesn't have to
1: defend that he's a piece of shit. He has to defend the fact that he's whatever height and whatever weight.
2: It's just very, very strange.
1: <laughs> Pretty weird. All right.
2: Taking care of biz. The first female infantry officer in the Marine Corps.
1: Marine Corps, everybody. Good times.
2: And we don't know her name.
1: Because she's not releasing her name.
2: Yeah, she said that she is not going to be doing interviews. She's, She's not going to be making the rounds because she wants to be a quiet professional and do her job. That is right. And I think that's awesome. I wish that there's a part of me that loves it, but there's a part of me that wants to see what she looks like because I want to see this badass.
1: She is a badass, too.
2: And let's
1: explain what she did.
2: So she completed the infantry officer course. Big deal. And, it, I, and it, I don't
1: mean that sarcastically. It is a big deal.
2: Yeah, and it involves intensive combat exercises. It's a 13-week program, and like you're saying, pretty intense. It's considered some of the toughest training in the military, and typically 25% of students wash out.
1: And, and you know, that's mostly men. Yeah. That's men who wash out.
2: And th- this is
1: after, for those of you who know about the military or specifically know about the Marine Corps... You go through OCS and then you go, which is Officer Candidate School, and then you go through something called the Basic school, which is like your basic infantry training, and everybody goes through that. And then if you're going to go into an, a, a, a job, an occupation, a, a military an MOS that is um, combat specific, then you go through the infantry officer course. Very, very high level. Not anybody can be an infantry officer. Not everybody can lead troops into battle. Not everyone can be that caliber of a warrior. Everybody can be a a basic rifleman. But not everybody can lead men and women into war. And that's what this prepares them for. And many women have tried, a handful of women have tried, to pass this.
2: I believe three dozen women.
1: She is the very first. Because the Marine Corps doesn't have different standards for women relative to combat readiness. Than men. It is the same. If you're a man who can't pass, you don't pass. If you're a woman who can't pass that exact standard, then you don't pass. That is the way it should be. That is equality. Yeah. And, they, and it's awesome that she did.
2: Well, they first opened this course to women in 2012. So that's how recent it, it is. Yeah. And it was on an experimental basis, and they could attempt to complete the program, and 32 women tried. None of them completed it,
1: and some badasses tried and failed. Yeah, some women who were like, um, I would—I don't want to say pro athletes, but hyper competitive athletes couldn't pass because it's rigorous. It's very rigorous. So kudos to her. I she is, she is a fucking uh, the kind of warrior we need. In a modern military.
2: And I want to talk a little bit about the course uh, before we go on. The course requires both proficiency in the field and the strength and stamina to carry equipment weighing up to 152 pounds. The school begins with a day-long combat endurance test that includes rigorous hikes through Quantico's rolling wooded hills. And an obstacle course and assessments of skills like weapons assembly and land navigation. Historically, about 10% of students fail on the first day alone.
1: All while desperately sleep-deprived. That's the other element that they don't talk about, which is a dire need for sleep and on a low, low low-calorie diet. They're putting your body and your mind to the ultimate test. So it really is... It is a testament to what a blood-sucking-war machine she is. She is a badass. She deserves the honor of having graduated... And she will she will have the respect of her troops that she leads into whatever missions that are assigned.
2: Yeah. And so this is what you were referring to earlier when you said there was a thread that made you so angry that you were shaking. (laughs) That's right. This is because people are unhappy about this and still feel as though women should not be in this role and they should not be allowed to be in combat. And well, of course like- these people are also MRAs, <laughs> right? Um, <laughs> men's bodies are expendable and used in war, but again, they want women to be barefoot and in the kitchen. And someone actually said that it's a depraved society, I believe is the word that they use um, that allows women to go into combat.
1: That's what I was going to talk about.
2: And it's just it's strange to me because if a woman, is able to pass the same requirements that a men pass that, that men pass. No, no, no.
1: If she's able to pass the same requirements that many men fail, yeah, then she's fucking worthy.
2: Yeah, and listen, these are the requirements that the Marines have put forth. Yes, and said this is this is the requirement. So all these arguments of well, what happens when she needs to do this in the field? Well, that's why they created the requirements to be a certain way. Because they have judged that this will weed out the people who are not capable in the field. So they're the ones who have decided this. Is some random that hasn't served in the military more capable of understanding what's required of a Marine in the field? I don't think so.
1: Someone who spent zero time in the field.
2: Yeah. And...
1: The, The thing I have a problem with, briefly...
2: Yeah, go ahead. ...is
1: that weird notion that... Oh, it's a depraved society that sends its women to war. Why are they any different than men? Women are just as capable. They are just as much badasses. And if they can meet the standards, the physical and psychological standards that are set for everyone, and they want to go, then goddamn send them. Yeah. Why would we deny them that? It's not a depraved society that demands equality for all. Yeah. It's a noble society.
2: And I'm interested to see how the, the failure rate changes now oh. for women now that a woman has completed it. And I'm not saying that I believe that it will be comparable to the, the male failure rate because obviously women are smaller and not as strong as men. Well, on biologically,
1: average. there's differences. Right.
2: On average. Yeah. Right. I always tell people. On on average. average. (laughs) That's
3: right.
2: (laughs) Um, Because I saw those women on the beach in Wonder Woman and some of them would crush some dudes. Yes, they would. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. But there's this phenomenon called stereotype threat um, where a situation poses a risk to individuals because they are at risk of confirming the negative stereotype about their group.
1: Hmm. Give give me an example.
2: Um, You see this with like math tests. And if you take two groups of boys and girls and you tell one group that there have been gender differences found on this test and you don't tell the other group that, the group that was told about the gender differences, women will perform more poorly on the test than the boys, where the group with the boys and girls and they were not told about gender differences, they will perform equally as well on the test. Wow. And that's called what? The stereotype threat. Stereotype And and that's because the stereotype is that girls aren't as good at at math as boys. Mm -hmm. And so when you make that threat visible, it actually influences their performance on a math test, Hmm. whatever the stereotype is. And this is also seen between black and white people on um, tests of abilities, like cognitive abilities, intelligence testing. So... I think that that could be at play here as well, where
1: so it's a it's a precursor, it's a triggering precursor. You're letting them know, yeah, a lot of it's kind of weird. This test, not a lot of African Americans do very well. So then
2: it puts that and anxiety. You're, you're
1: priming them to not do that well.
2: Yeah, or to to be concerned with now validating that stereotype,
1: living up to that performance level or that uh, that check mark.
2: Right. Yeah. And. I think with women going through this, and you could tell me, I don't know, I think most of the training is likely physical capability. Most of it. But there's also a significant portion that is mental strength as well. For sure. And if you are a female going through this process and things start to get really tough and you start thinking to yourself no woman has ever done this. What the hell? Who, who the hell do I think I am? Right. I can't do this. And then you start to feel defeated because of that negative self-talk.
1: So you're saying that you, 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 you postulate that it's possible, I think likely, now that I'm hearing all this, that the women up and coming into the infantry officer course will know a woman has already passed this. I can do this. And they will perform accordingly. So we're going to see a lot more women who graduate
2: possibly. I, I don't I don't know. I, I don't mean, know about a lot more, but I think that it it would be significant to Well, if
1: it's one in the last 5 years, if we get another one in the next 1 year, yeah, we're 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 increasing more than exponentially our graduation
4: rate.
2: And this kind of thing is so influential. I mean, you see women in Positions of power, CEOs, yeah. and that influences more women to believe that they can break the glass ceiling and they can be CEOs, they can be president, they can be senators, all of these things where historically it has been men that are in those positions of power. And seeing women in those ro- roles encourages women that, that they have the capability to do that as well. And I think that this woman achieving this sends a message that we are capable and we can do this. I mean, I can't, but I'm sure someone <laughs> else. <laughs> it's
1: the royal we. It's we. Someone else we can. can do it. <laughs> well, she is definitely taking care of biz. We'd love to know what you guys think about this and all the other stories we talked about today. 657-464-7609. That is our number. You can call it even less than two minute, a fewer than two minute voicemail. You can also email a voice memo from your smartphone to I doubt it at dollamore.com. We want to hear from you. Go to iTunes to Apple Podcasts is what it's called now. Go leave us a rating and review there. That would help us out tremendously to get us in front of new audience members other than the people that you're telling about the show on a daily basis. That is awesome. You can also support the show by going to dollamore.com on the left-hand side of the page. There's a link that says support the show. There you'll find a few different ways. We would love to have you in the Patreon family. We'd love to have you buy some shit on on uh, Amazon. And also, if you're going to be in the Southern California area, we would love to have you come on board and see us Moderate a debate with Michael Shermer at Cal State Fullerton at the Titan Student Union. Blah blah blah. There's a Facebook event. Go to slash Shermer. There's a poster and a link below that'll bring you to the Facebook event so you can say you're you're interested or you're going. All of that. Wow, that was a mouthful. We love you guys. We will see you next time. And until then, for Brittany Page, I am Jesse Dollamore and this has been I doubt it. Welcome to the show. I'm Jesse Dollarmore. I'm down in my mom's basement doing a podcast.